0: Good morning. 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 We're going to be looking at Psalms, one of my favorite Psalms. I love the Psalms because no matter, it seems like where you're at in your walk in Christ and what you're going through, whether it's a high or whether it's a low, uh, there's a Psalm that can just speak to you, Uh, we can rejoice with you and assist in helping you praise God for all the goodness of God and the great things he's done in our lives. And there's Psalms that help us when we might be struggling or we might be going through a tough time in our walk. Uh, It just seems like if you look through the Psalms, you'll find one that can really, God can use to speak into your life. The psalms we're going to be looking at, Psalm 73, is one of those psalms. It's uh, packed with a lot. And we're going to unpack it this morning, and it's a psalm that has blessed me many times. I guess because at times in my walk that I found myself battling some of the things, same things that this psalmist was battling. And we're going to start in Psalm 73, and I pray that... uh, It'll speak to you as it is. Speak to me several times. And before we get started, I do want to open in a word of prayer. Father, we we just rejoice that we can come together as the body of Christ, freely open your word and worship you and read your word and, and just let your word instruct our lives. God, I pray that every word that I speak would be according to your perfect will. Lord, your words are life. And I just pray that we would be bathed in your word this morning and that it would strengthen us and help us to go out into this world and be the light that you've called us to be. And Lord, we just thank you. Holy Spirit, have your way this morning in all of us and be exalted in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 73, we're going to go through the entire Psalms. Like I said, there's a lot in there. But we're going to go verse by verse, unpack it. And we're going to start in verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So he opens up the Psalms talking about the goodness of God and how good he is to those that are pure in heart. But as we go into verse 2, we see a, a, a quickly... He uh, changes direction and he makes it personal and a personal experience that he had within his own life. In verse two, it says, but as for me, my feet almost slipped and I had nearly lost my foothold. What he immediately goes into, he talks about the goodness of God, but then he immediately goes into a very intense struggle. That he had within his own faith. What caused this crisis of faith that he's speaking about in verse 2? Well, he answers that. He begins to answer it in verse 3 For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I looked at that word envy, and I didn't look in the Greek. I didn't look in uh, uh, any kind of biblical definition. I just looked at Webster's definition. A feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. And when I read that definition of envy, I was really curious to dig into that word, because as we see, it really took this psalmist in a pretty bad place. And he ends up in a pretty dark place. So I looked at that word and and listened at the definition. And immediately it just seems like we live in a world where envy is at an epidemic level. We have what I call celebrity worship. Where we just look at celebrities and, and we just want our life. We want their life. They just seem to have it. Altogether, they just seem, just have all the great things of the world and they don't seem to struggle. At least that's the way they portray it. And that's a lot of times the way we see it. Then we have others who want to be envied. When I read this, it's funny because I just got a three month membership at the gym right there in Bossy farms and to try to get my knee to get stronger, faster and to rehab it a little bit better. And, uh, it's an interesting place, it really is um, I'm not trying to be judgmental or anything like that, but there's a lot of mirrors in that gymnasium for a reason, <laughs> and people really just seem to like to look at themselves in the mirror and see and they and they, they it's everybody has a phone now, and it seems like they're doing selfies and video and everything that they're doing and and i'm I'm thinking to myself, what are you trying to portray? What, what, what kind of world are you trying to build to make other people think that this is you, you know? And to me, it almost speaks like, uh, you know, I want people to look at me and say, I want to be you, you know? Um, me, I'm just the opposite. I try to not look in the mirrors. Uh, I kind of put blinders on when I walk by because I'm not crazy at what I see. But I just think it's interesting. You have people that envy, then you have people that want to be envied. In Proverbs 1430, we start to get uh, how serious envy is. It says, Proverbs 1430, A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy is the rottenness of the bones. And envy is the rottenness of the bones. That's some heavy language there in how uh, they, they describe envy. According to Proverbs, it's a very, very destructive force. As we go further into this chapter, we're going to see that envy took the psalmist in a very, very bad place. Because he allowed this envy to come into his heart. He allowed it to... Uh, It took him into looking at others and envying what they were, what they had, that he ended up in a very bad place. So what we're going to do is we're going to read verses 4 through 12. And we're going to, what we're going to do in these verses that we're about to read is we're going to get the mindset of the psalmist at this time that he was going through this. So starting in verse 4. He says, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now now he gives a description of how he feels by what he is looking at. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves With violence, from their calloused hearts comes iniquity, and the evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scuff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them, and they drink up waters in abundance." They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, and they increase in wealth. So we get this mindset from the psalmist, and as we read where he's at and what he's thinking, he's not in a very good place. You can just feel the bitterness oozing out from his heart by what he's seen. Is it a place that maybe we've been? Maybe not to that extreme. But has envy ever got a little bit of our heart? Has it ever got a, a part of us where we see something and we think, we start to question, why does this person always seem to get away with everything? Why this? Why that? Why is there no justice? The psalmist was very, very confused, very bitter at this point in the psalms. And as we go into 13 and 14, we're going to see the psalm ended up in a very dark place. Verse 13, he says, surely in vain, I have kept my heart pure. In vain, I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long, I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. So what is the. End result. Where did he end up when he started to look at the rich and the prosperity and he started to let envy start to take his heart? It took him to a place where uh, he even started questioning why am I being pure? Why am I washing my hands in innocence? Why am I trying to do the right thing when all I do is reap the opposite? The wealthy, they have no problems. They increase with wealth. Their their life is just carefree. And here I am, in vain, keeping my heart pure. I'm doing the right thing. And all day long, I've been plagued. I have been punished every morning. Have you ever felt something kind of similar to that? Lord, why are we going through this? So-and-so doesn't even serve God. They don't even believe in God. And their life just seems so carefree. They're always just no problems. They're not worrying about how to pay the electric bill or how to make rent this month. They never have those issues in life. They never have those problems in life. And here I am serving you. And I'm battling this. My job is this. My health is breaking down. I've been punished every morning. Why? For what? I've heard people speak from this dark place, and at times I've even been in a place where these words ring home, to be honest. I've heard people say, man, I've never, ever since I committed to serve God, things have gotten worse. Have you ever heard that? I've heard it many, many, many times, especially in prison. You hear that a lot. Man, I committed to do the right thing. And it just seems like trouble follows me everywhere I go. I didn't have this much headaches and this much problems when I was in the world. Now that I'm serving God, oh my gosh, it just seems like it's a battle every day. Verse 15, this, I find verse 15 very interesting. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. What I find interesting in this verse, even in the place where the psalmist was, he realized, he realized that he could bring, his words would bring harm to the hearer. So it seems to indicate that he was not too boisterous while he was in this place about speaking what was in his heart. He realized that he was in such a bad place that his words would bring harm to the hearer. I would like to give a word of caution and encouragement here. We all have our moments of discouragement, conflicts, or at times we get offended or hurt within the body. Sometimes we need to express To someone to help us work through it my word of caution is choose wisely of who you speak to when you're going if you're in a moment maybe even a crisis of faith or maybe an offense or you've been hurt because there's a good chance you're probably speaking out from emotions and if you speak to the wrong person your words could actually become harmful to that individual. I use it maybe as an example that you have a friend that's not a believer. You've been sharing with. But something happens within the body that has just really hurt you deeply. And this friend might be a very good friend. So you take this friend in, in confidence and you start speaking to this friend who is not a believer... But the, the offense, the hurt came from within the body, within the church. So you use this person as a sounding board. What do you think that person is going to think? Maybe that's why I don't go to church. That's exactly why I don't go to church. You might not even realize, you might not even be wanting to let your words be harm to the hearer, but they could. You go back to church, it's dealt with, the offense is healed, you're back in good graces with each other, loving on each other. But what about that seed you planted in that non-believer? That's not healed. That's still there. And all that did was reaffirm why they don't go to church. That's just an example I'm using, maybe to the extreme, but I've seen it. That's why I say if you're in a place, and we all get into these places, Tom has dealt with me, the elders. They've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. But I've always made it a point to keep it on who I choose to speak to. Choose wisely because build, and here's the positive that I want to leave on this note here. Build relationships within the body who love you enough and have the courage to tell you the truth. Don't seek out somebody that's going to tell you what you want to hear. And they might have all the best intentions in the world trying to make you feel better. But I know in my almost 40 years of being a Christian, I have seeked out people. My inner circle have been men, people that will tell me the truth, that will have the courage to tell me the truth. So when I go to them, I know I'm going to be hearing the good advice that I need to hear. Then it's going to be up to me what I do with it. Build those relationships. Get involved in maturity. There's so much maturity in this church. Build relationships. And if you're going through them, go to them. If you need to talk to somebody, if we need to be a soundboard, that's why we're here. That's what the body's about. It'll be a safe zone within the body of Christ if you go to the right people. And we can help you work through things. We can help each other work through things. Nothing's worse than an offense that never gets healed. It only, it's a cancer, and it just spreads, and it caused such devastation. Verse 16. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. I love this. He was trying to understand through the, what he was seeing. He was trying to reason through it. And it was overwhelming. I have a word for that. I have a phrase for that. It was above his pay grade. He was trying to figure it all out up here. Why does the wealthy prosper? Why this? Why that? Why that? Da, da 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 Go on and on and on. on. And he says, it was becoming overwhelming. I get it. I've been there. Man, Lord. You ever tried to reason through something God did that you just did not understand why he did it? Am I the only one here? Man, Lord, why? You know, I got some examples right now. I found out that my one of my, I had two incredible mentors in my life that took me, well, three, but that took me under their wing. Just made sure that I got grounded. And one was Glenn Riddle, one of the godliest men I've ever met. Every time I didn't, I'd lose contact with Glenn Riddle and then I'd call up somebody, hey, you heard from Glenn? Yeah, last time I heard he's over there smuggling Bibles in China. He was just that type of guy. He was Everywhere he went, he just made incredible impacts on people's life. One of the most gracious, merciful men I've ever known. Inmate stole his truck, brand new. Glenn hardly ever had nothing to do with most of his ministry, being in prison ministry. Lived in a very small place, had three children. Got a little teeny truck. Wasn't even new, but it was clean. He was just happy as a coon in a corn patch. He was so thrilled. Brought an inmate out that got out, and he wasn't living with him two weeks. The inmate stole his truck. Told it, I said, "Man, Glenn, I'm really sorry about your truck." He goes, "You know what? I'd lose a hundred trucks if it meant one soul coming to Christ." That's just his heart. I found out in this, in a service in this church, I didn't even know that Glenn was killed. Didn't even know. Joey, Joey Gonzalez was a young man that, man, I'd never seen fire like there was in Joey. He's one of the greatest of street evangelism I've ever seen. He would, he, hundreds would come to know Christ of the worst of society. He just had that, that, that calling upon his life and so powerful. They decided, uh, we're going to send you to England and we're going to start a church in London. Man, Joey was like, let's go. Boom. Sent him over there. We start getting pictures, man. He's not only in London playing the guitar on the streets, a church starting to come together, man. He sent pictures. Next thing you know, he's over an island. That's when all the Catholics and the Protestants were killing each other. It was crazy. IRA. And there's Joey right in the middle of it. He's got his arms around two, two IRA guys, you know, telling them about Jesus. Fearless. Fearless. On fire from God. Next thing I know, Joey's in a hospital in London dying of leukemia. He died in London from leukemia. Getting ready to leave this service right here. One of the other mentors, Roland Benavides, one of the most godly men I've ever met in my life. I love him to death. Love him to death. He spoke into my life so much. We're going to go to a, a place where they have him. Just had a second stroke, paralyzed can't use his right arm, paralyzed, both of his legs, and he can barely talk. We're going to go visit him right after we leave here. Do I have questions why? Yeah. I was like, God, why is it sometimes it seems like you take the best? I can't even shake a candle with any of these guys, and I'm still here. Why do you sometimes seem to take the cream of the crop? You ever had questions, why God? It's okay. His shoulders are big enough to carry it. And all we can do many times is we can fall back on Isaiah 55, 9. As, heaven, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You know how I find comfort in these questions when they come up as I rest in who God is? I know he's pure, He's holy. I know his love is greater than anything I could ever imagine. I rest in who God is. So I know he has reasons for whatever he allows to happen. Why does he heal one person and he doesn't another? I don't know. But I rest in who he is. Verse 17. When I tried to understand verse all this was, it was just too oppressive. It was above his pay grade. Now listen to verse 17. This is where his change starts to take place. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood the final destiny. Then I understood. In the following verses, we're going to see a dramatic change in how the psalmist sees things. What causes this change? He says in verse 17, I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood. He came back to where he belonged. He took his focus off the prosperity of the wicked, and he readjusted it back to where it should be fixed, and that is upon Jehovah, upon God. He went back to the sanctuary." He went back to the presence of God. And then he says, I understood. When we attempt to interpret the things of this world without a biblical perspective, without a biblical worldview, things are going to get a bit twisted. And many times, almost every time, if not every time, our faith will begin to waver just as the psalmist did. We'll start asking questions that are above our pay grade. We'll start looking at the prosperity of the wicked and say, why? I remember, I won't even give names, but many years ago, there was a a double murder that took place by a celebrity, and everybody and their brother knew he did it. Everybody knew he did it. But he was found innocent. And I remember the outrage, and I was outraged. Are you kidding me? And then that Sunday, we had a guest speaker at the church I was at, and he came in and he says, I don't understand why believers are so outraged. He goes, I get it. We want justice just like anybody else does. But does it shock you when you don't see justice in this world? Have you forgotten where we live? We're going to see injustice. And yes, it should bother us. I'm not saying that. But it shouldn't. It shouldn't shock us. It shouldn't. We can't legislate perfection. We can't legislate perfect morals. That can only come through a transformed heart by the power of God. The psalmist went to the sanctuary. He, get, he went back to where he, he belonged. And things started to clear up. Verse 18 through 20. Now he gets the real picture. Surely you place them on a slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. So when he got his eyes back where they needed to be, not on the prosperity of the wicked, but back into the sanctuary of God, back on God, he started to, things started to clear up, and he started to see things for what they are. He started to see the truth. What a different picture than what he's seen in the verses before that, how he's seen. They get away carefree. They get away with everything. They live good. Then he gets the big picture. Their destiny is not good. Oh, they might have wealth in this world. If you remember the man that was wealthy and who was it that was eating the, begging for the crumbs off the table and the dogs were licking his wounds. uh, And he was a rich man. Somebody help me out. Was that Zacharias? Lazarus, Lazarus. And then the rich man died. They both died. And then they went into eternity. And what did Father Abraham speak to him? He said, you received your reward. You received it on this when you were alive on this temporal earth. You received it. It's over. The reward that you had. You lived in luxury. You ate the best foods. You, you, you drove the best chariots. You had servants. You had everything. But those days are done and those days are gone. That was all the reward you're going to get. Now you're going to get the just reward is coming your way. Justice is coming your way. And that's the big thing. Those might slip justice on this earth. And that's a temporal justice. But they don't Slip the eternal justice. And that out far weighs anything that they experience upon this world. And that's what he showed the psalmist. Psalms, this is one of my favorite verses in Psalms, and I've probably used it several times, but it just spoke to me when I read it so clearly. For with you is the fountain of life, Psalms 36:9. In your light, we see light. In your light, we see light. When we're walking in the light of God, when we're walking in his presence, when we are returning to the sanctuary, when we are focusing our, guy, our eyes upon God, and when we're in his light, we have the ability to interpret things correctly. In his light, we see light. We see this world For what it really is. We know the final income. We know the eternity that is coming. We know where the just are going to live and the unjust are going to live. We know the rewards of the believers. No matter what they're going through here on this earth whether they're going through persecution, whether they never knew what it was to even own a home but lived in cardboard boxes, but their heart was for God, whether they had to battle day in or day out to feed their children, why, why those that live up on the hill lived in luxury and drove Mercedes Benz and BMWs and, and ate caviar. We know in the end how it all pans out. We know the flip that's happening, that's going to happen those that have suffered, those that have done without, but they've stayed faithful to God, it will shine like the stars in heaven. The reward will be great. Those who were wicked, their reward will be horrendous. We know how the story ends. This is what was opened up to the Psalmist once again. Sometimes I believe God speaks in Spanish, and He probably looked at the Psalmist in a jito. Remember? You remember? Go back to the big picture. Verse twenty-one, and I love this. Listen to this through twenty-four. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was a senseless and arrogant, I was a brute beast before you. psalmist clearly recognized how far off the path he got. But look at what it says in verse 23. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Amen. You know, man, when we have our moments, not even being faithful. God is always faithful. The psalmist eyes got readjusted, got fixed back where they were. What else did he see? He not only seen the destiny of the wicked, but he also seen that God was with him all along. God is so faithful. So faithful. Verse twenty-five through twenty-seven. Whom have I in heaven? Now listen at this transformation that just takes place in this man. Whom have I heaven? Ha, whom have I in heaven but you? And the earth has nothing I desire besides you. Man, what a perspective! What an adjustment of his perspective! Just before he was lusting over after the wealth of those. That were wicked. And now he's saying, There's nothing in this earth compared to you. Nothing. The earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. What restored this psalmist? The same thing that restores us when we get off track. And you hear me say it over and over till you're probably tired of hearing it. But what restored him was an eternal perspective. Man, we get caught into living in the temple so much that it gets so clouded that we forget. And we have to be reminded constantly of eternity. And what does that look like in the form of rewards or justice? God chose us. He gives us glimpses. He gave the psalmist a glimpse He thought the wicked had it made. God showed him, no, they don't. They don't have it made. It restored to him an eternal perspective. Turn with me real quick to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to wind it down here. Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be reading in verses 44 through 46. This is Jesus speaking. He's speaking about the kingdom of heaven. He, says that it's, he gives a parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hit it again, and then in his joy, he went and sold all he had, and he bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. You know, in these two parables that Jesus gives, I think the thrust Of what Jesus is trying to bring forth here in these parables. Is the value of the kingdom. Of heaven. Versus anything that we could have here on this earth. He uses these to illustrate that. When that man found that treasure in the field. He sold all he had. Because everything he had didn't even come close to the value of that treasure that is called the kingdom of heaven. Willing to sell it all, that pearl, willing to give it all, sell everything he's got because that pearl has so much more value than anything that man had. And what was that pearl? The kingdom of heaven. That's in the context that Jesus is using this parable. It's the most valuable, our eternity with Christ in heaven. There is nothing on this earth that can come close to the value of that, that we have. There's nothing that can come close to the promises that we have in God. Nothing. I have a quote here by a book that I read, Mark. Von Hannon. And I think I've probably shared it with you before, but I love what he says here. So I'm gonna read it to you again. But who knows? With my mind I might not have ever read it to you. It might be the first time you heard it, but heaven heaven mindedness is sanity. It is the best regimen for keeping our hearts whole. Our minds clear. It allows us to joy enjoy Earth's pleasures without debauchery. It allows us to endure life's agonies without despair. It allows us to see things from the widest possible perspective and in the truest possible proportions. See, God, does he want us to enjoy things, enjoy things upon this earth? Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't swallow this. I got to walk around in sackcloth and be miserable as a Christian. I don't think that's biblical. But on the same hand, I don't swallow the word faith. I don't think that well, our goal is to have as much gold upon this earth and live like kings and try to build our own kingdom. And heavenly-mindedness, heavenly mindedness, the eternal perspective, helps us to keep everything in proportion. He wants us to enjoy the things of this earth, but those are just signposts that are pointing towards even a greater fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Any good pleasure you have on this earth is only a small taste of what's coming in eternity. You have a good marriage and a a wonderful marriage, and it's one of the greatest things you've ever had upon this earth. It's only a taste of the marriage that's coming. I know that's hard for us to grasp when we love our dear ones. But it was only meant to be a signpost of the final marriage between the bride and the groom, the church and Jesus Christ. And however fulfilling our marriage here was on this earth, it'll be a gazillion times more. Is that a number, Kurt? Gazillion? Well, okay. It's Greek. I looked it up. It'll be a gazillion times more fulfilling in heaven. And that's the way it was meant to be. This earth is only full of signposts, good things, that point towards eternity. When we get that out of whack, the signpost becomes the things that we start to worship. And that was never meant to be. Verse 28. Man, I'm finishing on time. Wow. That's a first. Let me see. Let me get back here. Psalm 73, verse uh, 28. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Let's do a little quick comparison between verse 15 and 28 to show the difference now. Verse 15, when he was in that horrible state, he said, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When he goes to the sanctuary and God clears up His worldview, he says now, in verse 28, I will tell of all your good deeds. One was, man, I'm so messed up, I just need to keep my mouth shut. The other one was, I need to proclaim the greatness of God. All because, verse 17, I entered the sanctuary of God. What does that speak us today? How do we, walk and we stay in the light right now what you're doing is one way you know i love what what alex is doing with the word of god and just you can't get enough of it we need bathed in it it's what corrects our worldview it what it's what makes our worldview coming to church and getting locked up in the fellowship make building relationships with with each other that's what keeps us in the light Your personal devotion, your own study of the word of God, there's nothing that can replace that. You can't survive just on going to church on Sunday morning and then not opening your word Monday through Saturday. Your view will get twisted. Your faith will waver. But every day spending time with the Lord and devotion and prayer, it doesn't have to be hours and hours and hours, but just making a time for God every day. It keeps you in the light so that when you go out and you face the things that we all have to face, we go to work and we have to face all the philosophies, all the occults, all the lies, all the wokeness, all this, all that, and it starts bombarding us and we get challenged. We can be a light. Not only walk, we're walking in the light so we can be a light. I've Perspective and our worldview shows clearly this world and what's going on. I'm going to end with this. I'm going to end with something St. Augustine said. And when I read this, this, this is really heavy, what he, something he experienced. And because of what he experienced, I'll give you the quote that he said. St. Augustine said after losing his best friend, he lost his best friend, and this is in the confessions, he plunged into despair very close to this individual, and it just plunged him into a very, very dark place. But then he draws a moral from it when he starts coming out the other side. And this is what he said. He says of... This is is what comes, he says, of giving one's heart to anything but God. All human beings pass away. Do not let your happiness depend on something you may lose. If love is to be a blessing, not misery, it must be for the only beloved who never passes away. Man, I don't think St. Augustine meant that we don't love each other. I don't think he meant that at all. But I think what he was stressing is we live in a world of temporalness. My, when my mom passed away, my, one of my first cousins called me up afterwards to give us condolences, and he says, do you realize your mom was the last one of that generation? He goes, we are now the last generation. There's ten of us, ten cousins, first cousins. He goes, we are now the last generation. I said, that's right, Gary. Now we are the next ones that are when we start crossing over the bridge. That same cousin that called me just died two days ago. Since he made that statement, three of, the, three, of, three of the cousins of the ten are gone. They have moved on. And uh, we are surrounded by, in a sense, temperance. Who knows who will be here next year? And if all of our happiness is based on a relationship or all of our happiness is based upon material thing, materialism, if all of our happiness is based upon a career, St. Augustus says that's all going to pass away. And if that's your foundation, if that's, If that's where we lie and put all of our trust and happiness in, what's it going to do when it passes away? Does it mean we don't hurt when our loved ones pass away? Absolutely not. We're human. We love each other deeply. It hurts tremendously. But if love is going to be a a blessing that it has to be put in its proper perspective first and foremost our love has to lie and rest upon Jesus Christ and when that is in this right place it seems like all of the rest of our love falls into place we properly love our family, our friends each other